The Theonauts, episode 64, the one where there are mice in me. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you theo-revivalists out there. Yes, I know that if you are tuning into the Theonauts, then you are a revivalist. It's in your heart, it's in your soul, and you're ready to go to town on it, even if Christianity is booming around you. I know you're wanting to take it to the next level. I'm David Getty, and I'm all alone, all by myself. There is no one here beside me I'm all alone, quite all alone No one to comfort me or guide me Why is there no one here with me On the long and winding road To lift my heavy load If there was someone here with me How happy I would be Yes, but Jeremiah is not here again. But that's cool. He's trying. He's trying. (laughs) You know, last week whenever he was here, uh, he mentioned that he got himself into a new position, a new job, and he is uh, working diligently at that thing. Um, thing is, he hasn't done uh, a lesson plan or any of this sort of thing, and that's what he's doing now. He's teaching 7th through 12th grade English, and so he has really been struggling and working hard to try and get lesson plans prepared and to get all his ducks in a row here for this this school um, semester that just began. So he is a little tied up at the moment, but hopefully once he gets his legs back under him, he'll be back in here with me and, uh, and we'll be able to banter a little more. But for now, I'm alone. So this is going to be an interesting uh podcast for me because I haven't really ever done, you know, a Theonaut episode. It's always been the Theonauts, but we're going to give it a shot here. So uh, to start out with, we have a little bit of feedback, but it's not really voicemail. I just like pushing that button. So uh, our good friend, who uh, found us through Finding Christ in Cinema, uh, Philip, King Philip over there, um, our patron saint for the GCT network. He uh, left me, a, or left me because I'm the Theonaut of the week, <laughs> but he left us a, uh, some good feedback on um, and, and gave us some f- a five-star rating. And he says, this is a fun podcast that looks at topical events and issues with a biblical perspective. It's a solid online Bible study that you can count on feeding your soul and teaching you something. Thank you, Philip. That means a lot coming from you. Uh, We've had a chance to chat a little bit in social networks and through Finding Christ in Cinema. And and you got to a really good theological head on your shoulders. Maybe I can get you in here sometime and, uh, and uh, do a show with us. But anyway, I uh, really appreciate the feedback. And I figured, you know, I, I really didn't do hardly any news. That's kind of Jeremiah's thing. But I figure, you know, why not? And now the news. 
just a few things to talk about this week. Um, first off, the one that I, th- I find kind of funny is the, uh, the rock band, the Foo Fighters. Um, <laughs> you may have heard this, uh, Westboro Baptist Church, our, our favorite, uh, our favorite crazy guys up north, uh, that we probably give way too much airtime to, <laughs> but anyway, they like to, to protest, you know, all kinds of things, um, that normally doesn't get protested. But one of the things that they, that they protest is these, uh, rock concerts and things like this. And they had made it known they're going to uh, picket at the Foo Fighters concert. Well, the Foo Fighters, always being full of verb and vigor and everything else, they uh, they decided they were going to fire back. <laughs> so I'm reading a, a a little clip here from Relevant Magazine. It says you'll probably you're probably all too familiar with the egregious an inflammatory protest by Westboro Baptist Church, which is neither Baptist nor a church. They famously picketed the funerals of fallen soldiers and pretty much anyone who doesn't deserve picketing. Online, there's a tried and true way to deal with internet trolls when all else fails. It's called Rick Rolling. And that's exactly what the Foo Fighters did to the Westboro group protesting outside the venue before the band's concert this weekend, a real-life drive-by Rick Roll. Now, if you're like uh, my wife, she's like, well, what's a Rick Roll? <laughs> well, that's just um, a, a cool little term that people have thrown on, uh, on a, a way of handling Internet trolls or just pranking people or whatever else while you're on the Internet. You can be like... Uh, Hey, click on this link for some interesting, you know, some interesting information or, um, you know, you suck people in by getting them to click on a link. And then the link is like a YouTube video of Rick Astley uh, doing uh, uh, Never Gonna Let You Down or whatever. (laughs) And uh, so that's what um, Foo Fighters did. Dave Grohl and company drove by the picketers in the bed of a pickup truck with the stereo blasting uh, Rick Astley, Astley and uh, holding up a sign that says, you just got Rick rolled. <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was kind of uh, kind of an interesting little uh, uh, tidbit. There's all kinds of, of uh, other little things that have popped up today. One of them is, is kind of interesting is um, The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. It just came out, or it's about to come out, on digital uh, Blu-ray, DVD, uh, digital HD, and they are they are releasing a um, an extended edition, which for the first time in the franchise is R-rated. Uh, now I'm looking at uh, the articles I could find on this, and no one's really discussing why uh, all of a sudden this new release is getting the R-rated. Um, version. Apparently there are 20 more minutes added um, as if we needed to bloat this already bloated version of this book any more than what (laughs) it has happened. Uh, Apparently that 20 minutes of footage has got some very interesting things in it because it managed to push the MPAA rating of this thing up to rated R. So uh, if you are a, a Hobbit fan or Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, that's something interesting that we can look at. There's also nine hours of bonus features uh, included with this DVD or Blu-ray uh, release, which is just way too much information. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I mean, I love the Tolkien stuff, and I, 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 I love the, the story. I love the Hobbit book, but this this. Uh, trilogy has been to me just over bloated. I think uh, um, Peter Jackson it, it, uh, approached it a little bit wrong. I mean, I understand what he was doing. He was trying to fit it in with the Lord of Rings and make it all make it all fit in and have the same tone and all that. But the books didn't have the same tone. Uh, but anyway, something interesting there as you're going through uh, your your video store to uh, check out the extended R-rated version. Of the Hobbit, the Battle of Five Armies, uh, all kinds of other little things uh, that I won't go off into too much. Uh, one one thing that is just interesting has been going around a lot is 
this whole Ashley Madison uh, leak is, it seems like every day there are new things popping up about this Ashley Madison um, attack and the, and the, the names that were released uh, because of it. Uh, now, I mean, I've seen one here um, saying that the reality TV star Snooky, her husband, uh, was revealed to have a uh, Ashley Madison account. It's like, okay, well, who else is going to just... I mean, who didn't have an Ashley Madison account? It's like all these people are popping up. You had uh, uh, Josh Duggar, who's already getting a black eye in the media over um, the things in his past. And now all of a sudden it's been revealed that he had an Ashley Madison account. And uh, of course, all the pol- the political figures that, that have been outed this way. And people have actually committed suicide over this thing. Uh, there was some people up in, um, in Canada that um, saw this information being leaked about it. Because after all, in case you're not familiar with it, which this has been in the news so much, I don't see how you can miss this, but <clears throat> Ashley Madison is a website that promotes, on, it's an online dating site for specifically for uh, adultery. Like, so cheating on husbands and wives. Then that's, uh, so obviously if you have an account there, you want to keep it pretty secret. Well, that, then uh, uh, some hackers got in there, broke the whole thing loose, and now all those names are floating around out there. And like I said, we've had some people commit suicide over it. It's big, you know, big deal. But uh, but anyway, just kind of interesting. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those things that we might think about that. Uh, you know, there are consequences to our to our actions, and there are consequences to sin. And yes, we all have shortcomings. And you know, I, I think that we should not point fingers at these. Uh, at these people necessarily, because I'm sure that if you're like me, there are skeletons in your closet as well that you would hate to come to light, <laughs> you know, but God sees it all. And, um, and, uh, so it's just a good thing that he has mercy and grace on us for those things. If we, uh, if we are faithful to him and, uh, and so, you know, I, it's easy to look at these people and go, you know, while they're um, they were a part of that whole Ashley Madison thing, but uh, maybe we should pray for them and and uh, and pray for healing and and that sort of thing, and and try to show the same type of mercy and grace that we would want uh, our Father to give us. So, but anyway, that's really all that enthusiasm. <laughs> All right, in this episode, uh, what I want to do is I want to talk about revival, really. Um, and I want to talk about um, our mentality toward uh, growth and and the spreading of Christianity. And not just, you know, so many times we sit through uh, sermons or we read articles or, you know, all this sort of stuff that is telling us, you know we're not doing enough. We're not. Uh, we're not preaching enough. We're not. We're not going out there, and uh, and we need to do that. And, and and almost like it's a like a mandate. And although you know the Great Commission is a mandate, um, there is something behind the mandates that we've been given uh, under this new covenant uh, with with Christ, and that is that. We don't do mandates because they're commanded necessarily. We do them because we love the one who's giving the mandate. Um, so you know, we had an, uh, a, a an episode here a while back, you know, on Father's Day about why we serve God because He's a dad. He's our father for crying out loud. And we do the same thing, you know. If you have a good relationship with your dad here on Earth. Um, this should come pretty natural to you because you see the things that your dad wants you to do, the mandates he gives you. And as a child, yes, you do them out of fear and you do them out of, out of, um, uh, you know, fear of pain or whatever else. But whenever you become an adult, you aren't any longer focused on, you know, Oh, my dad's going to spank me, paddle me or ground me or anything else. 
the 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 motivation changes and it's a it's a motivation that is based on love and you know whenever jesus was asked by um by the lawyers trying to trick him you know what is the greatest commandment um he he chose uh, one that was not even in the Ten Commandments. I mean, he chose what the Jews refer to as the Shema, which comes out of Deuteronomy six about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, um, but then you know, on top of that, he adds something to it. He adds this: the second command is like to it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And. That I would think that would be kind of revolutionary um, from a lawkeeper. I mean, this is a lawyer asking him. Uh, obviously, he's talking about um, you know theocratic law. This is a lawyer who who knew the law of God and the law of Moses, and so he he was saying this and he was asking this to try and find out. Okay, flip over here and give me something out of Leviticus. You know, give me something out of Exodus twenty. Tell you know, but. Jesus chose things outside of that because it's the underlying thing. He says, on these two things, hang all the law and the prophets. So in other words, if there's any command, um, it, it, it is tied to loving God or loving your fellow man. And so whenever we, we sometimes get into this rut where it's like, oh, man, we need... We need to do something. We need to spread God's word or whatever. And it's almost like a guilt thing for us. It's like, oh, well, I'm commanded to do this and I have to go do it. And, I'm, and it's, it's going to be a lot of work. And, you know, aren't there, aren't there preachers who get paid for this? I mean, aren't there evangelists and aren't there missionaries? And, and we want to obfuscate, you know, the responsibility onto those guys. But, you know, it, I think that there's something bigger here. And so I want to take a thought from Isaiah, the sixth chapter. Um, now, Isaiah is, is um, this, this, this story, uh, it's only part of Isaiah 6 that I want to look at. I want to look at it because what happens is Isaiah comes into the temple and a vision happens. He sees this vision of God's throne and he gets a calling. And, um, of course, he was already a prophet. So he already had a calling of sorts, but but this is like a special uh, calling that was given to him, uh, specific. Now, the, the time that this is going on, this is in the time of the divided kingdom, and um, it occurs in the time of a, of a king by the name of Uzziah. Um, Uzziah is also known as Azariah in the Bible. He reigned in the southern kingdom of Judah from 760 B.C., to 740 BC. Uh, this is prior to the Babylonian captivity. So uh, Uzziah, and of course, in, in Judah, uh, had some good kings, some bad kings. Northern kingdom of Israel, you know, they never had any good kings. <laughs> they just, you know, they started bad and they just plummeted all the way down and got wiped out by the Assyrians. But um, on this particular um, instance, Uzziah, he's a pretty good king. Um, he's ascribed he's as the inventor of the catapult, actually. You can read that in 2 Chronicles 26. Uh, at one point, he got a little proud, though, and he attempted to burn incense in the, in, uh, to the Lord in the temple, uh, for which he got chastised by the high priest, and God struck him with leprosy. And he had this leprosy until he died. Um, Isaiah was a prophet of God in his 20s at this time, um, and Isaiah was, was coming to the temple, and he receives this vision. And so um, I want to jump over there right quick and read it to you, at least a portion of it to you, in the New Century Version. Isaiah 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a very high throne. His, his long robe filled the temple. Heavenly creatures of fire stood above him. Each creature had six wings. It used two wings to cover its face, two wings to cover its feet, and two wings for flying. And each creature was calling to the others, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, all-powerful. His glory fills the whole earth. Their calling caused the frame around the door to shake as the temple filled 
with smoke. And I said, oh no, I will be destroyed. I'm not pure, and I live among people who are not pure. But I have seen the King, the Lord, all-powerful. One of the heavenly creatures used a pair of tongs to take a hot coal from the altar. Then he flew to me with the hot coal in his hand. And the creature touched my mouth with the hot coal and said, Look, your guilt is taken away. Because this hot coal has touched your lips, your sin is taken away. And then I heard the Lord's voice saying, Whom can I send? Who will go for us? So I said, Here am I. Send me. And then the Lord said, Go. Tell this to the people. You will listen and listen, but you will not understand. You will look and look, but you will not learn. Make the minds of these people dumb. Shut their ears. Cover their eyes. Otherwise, they might really understand what they see with their eyes and hear with their ears. They might really understand in their minds and come back to me and be healed. Then I asked, Lord, how long should I do this? And he answered, until cities are destroyed and the people are gone, until there are no people left in houses, until the land is destroyed and left empty. The Lord will send the people far away, and the land will be left empty. One-tenth of the people will be left in the land, but it will be destroyed again. These people will be like an oak tree whose stump is left when the tree is chopped down. The people who remain will be like a stump that will sprout again. So, man lot going on in this little chapter and um, and and I want to just think about a few things here <clears throat> it's real it's all well and good whenever you know you a preacher stands before you and says you know we got to go preach to the lost we got to go you know teach the gospel to the lost and and it's like oh yeah yeah okay 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 but have we ever had this type of experience like Isaiah experienced here? Man, the first four verses here describe the glory of God in his throne room. It's just amazing what undescribable is probably the best way to put it. The reaction that Isaiah has is so strong it's like, have we encountered God in this way? I mean, yes, Isaiah physically laid eyes upon him, or at least upon his throne, and the glory shining from it. But, and we, and we haven't, but do, do we still experience this same type of experience in our heart, through our mind's eye, through these scriptures? Can we look at it and go, oh my, that is the Holy Lord all-powerful. I will be destroyed because I'm not pure. I, I, have, I have no right. I have no qualifications to stand here before you. I am just totally w uh, without myself. You know, I think it almost takes that. It takes you getting to the point to where you are so blinded by the, by the very presence of God in your life that you, you almost feel ashamed to even be near him in spirit because you realize how worthless you are. But also knowing the same way that Isaiah, he wasn't able to come to God. He wasn't able because he knew that sin separated him. But there was this healing that happened and all of a sudden he was able to. And that then made him immediately in a place where his heart wanted nothing more than to do what God wanted him to do. 
you know, this 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 picture of the throne, this glory of the of God's throne, it shows up several times in scriptures. Um, Ezekiel has a vision in Ezekiel 10 verses 18 to 22, where he describes it very much the same way. Um, you hear in some translations it talks about these creatures as being seraphim, and in Ezekiel 2 or 10, there are scriptures, there is this other type of angelic being that is described as a ch- as cherubs or a cherubim. And um, so the, the there's slight differences in things like that. But overall, the vision is very close to the same. Daniel 7, uh, verses 9 through 11, Daniel's vision echoes the same type of thing that Ezekiel saw and similar to what Isaiah saw. Revelation chapter 4 John describes the glory that will someday uh, that we will someday be a part of, and he describes the throne of God, and it's very much the same way with these creatures about it, shouting, "Holy, holy, holy, uh, Lord God Almighty!" Uh, his His glory fills the whole earth, and so consistent language here, letting us know this is kind of what is. Um, is going on. So what is it like to to just step into that presence? Because believe it or not, we have that ability to do that. Yes, not physically. Yes, we're not prophets like Isaiah where we step right into this vision of the throne, but he is here with us. And just like when Jesus told his disciples there in John 14, I'm going to leave, but the comforter will come and he will teach you all things. He's going to come and be part of you. And when this happens, what's your response? What, what, what does, what's the human response to coming in contact with the very God of the universe I think we have several examples of it. if we go through the Old Testament and start looking at uh, Moses. Look at look at Moses whenever Moses uh, came to the burning bush in Exodus, the third chapter, uh, beginning in verse 2. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called uh, to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So think of that response. That you take off your, your shoes, because you're standing on holy ground. And then whenever he declared to him, this is who I am, I am the God you've been worshiping that, of your fathers, that your fathers have worshiped. That, that's who I am. And he was afraid to even be near him. To, or to even look at him. And what happened? Same thing. He got a calling. He was told to go to go uh, do a job. And uh, so uh, Joshua, when Joshua is about to deal with, with uh, the very first conquest that they make when they come over in the land of Israel, and that's at, at Jericho, and he comes across this captain of the Lord's host, which is a very interesting thing that we will have to talk about sometime. But this, a lot of people believe this is a theophany, uh, which it, which means this is a pre-existent um, uh, experience with Jesus. Um, but whatever it means, let's look at what Joshua's response is in Joshua 5 verse 13 it says when Joshua was by Jericho he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold a man was standing before him with with his drawn sword in his hand and Joshua went to him and said to him are you for us or for our adversaries and he said no but I am the commander of the army of the Lord now I have come and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him what does my Lord Say to his servant, and the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. 
So this is part of why a lot of people think this is a theophany is because angels aren't worshipped. And um, we have scriptures that tell us, you know, that, hey, get up, get up. I'm just a, I'm just a messenger. I'm, I'm not something you should worship. But this guy says he, he welcomes the worship and he says, take off your shoes for this is holy ground you are on. And what happens? A holy calling. Once again, um, Job 23, Job 38, Job 42. Job had to learn the hard way about what it meant to come into God's presence. You know, Job is beginning by, he's frustrated at his trials, he's dealing with, he's frustrated at his friends, and he says, you know what, if I could just have an audience with God, I could figure all this out. (sighs) Stupid words. I mean, how many times do we, how many times do we end up there? Man, I wish I just knew what God was up to. Man, I wish, I wish I could just talk to him. I wish I could just figure out his plan and see what's going on and why all this stuff is happening to me. But then Job met God. He got his chance. And I don't think he liked it too much. I mean, God shows up in a whirlwind and doesn't even give him a chance to ask ask his questions. Instead, God starts demanding, what right do you have? Where were you when I was doing this, when I was building the earth, whenever I was putting the animals here, while I was creating this great thing all around you? Where were you at, Mr. High and Mighty? What, what, What right do you have to ask me anything? And that went on for two or three chapters. Of course, you know, Job ends up saying there in, um, in chapter 2, verses or 42, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 6, it says, And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered, what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is the response God wants. This is the response that God was waiting for from Job because it's at this moment that he restores Job. He wants your brokenness. He wants your submission. And he wants your awe. What about Peter at the Transfiguration? Matthew 17, we have this situation where Jesus is changed right before Peter's eyes. And he actually sees Moses and Elijah there. And he wants to immediately, what's he want to do? Let's, let's, build, let's build some tabernacles and let's worship. <laughs> and uh, the response, what is your response to coming in contact with the almighty God? How does it not cause revival? How does it not change you? How does it not make you into something that people just have to hold back because you can't, you can't stand but not respond to it? Let's look at the fact that purification was required in order for Isaiah to get from a point of fear to a point of ambition and readiness to serve. Um, and, and remember, he came in, the fir- his first reaction was, oh no, I'm going to die. Why, why did he think that? Because he, he acknowledged he had sin. He acknowledged that, oh no, I'm a sinful person. And this is going to be your first response when you actually see God. I guarantee it. <laughs> You're going to be like, oh, I'm caught. I've, I've got all this sin. I can't be here. That was his response. And uh, then this purification had to take place. Uh, Now, this is something that Isaiah would have known from history. He would have known what it meant to come into the very presence of God in an unsanctified, unpurified state. We have constant reminders of it in the old law. Exodus 30, 
verses 17 to 21, the Lord said to Moses, you shall make a basin of bronze and with its stand of bronze for washing. And you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar and you shall put water in it with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet when they go in the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn or food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout the generations. So what's he, what's he saying here? He's, he's, he's saying that there was a process that you had to go through in order to be cleansed, to come into the very presence of God. You know, you often hear this, this, this term, cleanliness is next to godliness. And then there's always some Christian that pops in. You won't find that in the Bible. Well, maybe you do from this standpoint. I'm not talking physical cleanliness. I'm talking about spiritual cleanliness. Because God expects if you're going to come to, into his presence, he expects you to be in a clean state. And that's exactly what he did when he laid out all these rules that they had to do in order to sanctify themselves. Man, it's crazy. You go to Leviticus, you start reading Leviticus 5, you start reading about what Moses and his sons had to go through in order to be sanctified. Le uh, Leviticus 5, verse, beginning in verse 2, it says, Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of an unclean living or livestock or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him and he has become unclean and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanliness or whatever sort of uncleanliness may be with which one becomes unclean, it is, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it, and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it, and he realizes his guilt in any of these things, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. Cleanliness was paramount about coming in to God. You had to sacrifice in order to make yourself clean. In Leviticus 10, we also have uh, him saying, You are to distinguish between holy and common, between unclean and clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. And then you got... Chapter 11 is just devoted to how you, to clean animals and unclean animals. Chapter 12 deals with the impurity of childbirth and how to become clean after you've had a child. Chapter 13 deals with the uncleanliness of leprosy and how to deal with it, how to keep the camp clean. Chapter 14 is dedicated to cleansing lepers and their houses. Chapter 15 is about the uncleanliness of bodily discharges and how to purify yourself from them. It was, he left no stone unturned. It's all about being clean when you come before God. And Isaiah knew this. And we have examples of people who weren't. Nadab and Abihu were two sons of, of of, of Aaron's, and they were the first ones to make the very first sacrifice. And in doing this, they made a mistake. They were in the temple eight days, cleansing everything in there and becoming clean themselves in order so that they could make this, this sacrifice. And then when there was the time came, they brought in a coal from outside instead of using the one that had already been sanctified, the one that had been cleansed. And so the King James refers this, to this as strange fire. Uh, Leviticus 10, 2 through 3, 3, it says, And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. In other words, he knew, okay, those guys were unclean. And uh, you know, before we get too confused about this, this is not about them disobeying. If God wiped out everybody that disobeyed, well, then there wouldn't be anybody left. No one would have even made it through the wilderness. They didn't die because they added 
to their instructions. They didn't die because they took something away from the instructions. They died because they were unclean in the presence of holiness. The holy place contained an altar of incense, which had been consecrated and made pure. And the coals of this altar were then used to fire the incense used to purify their presence there. And they brought in coals from another place that weren't sanctified. Therefore, their incense was not purifying. Therefore, they were unclean when they approached God. This is exactly what Isaiah was freaking out about. I'm not clean. I've come into the presence of God. And what did the angel do? He grabbed a coal from the sanctified altar for the cleansed, a coal, a cleansed coal, and touched, to, and touched it to his lips and made him clean because of that. So the cleanliness comes by the sanctification, something that can make you clean. We've experienced that. We've already been, if we are Christians, we have experienced the cleansing power of Jesus' blood. It has come to us just like this coal has, and it has made us clean. So what was his response when he became clean? Willing and enthusiastic service. Is that what we have experienced once Jesus cleaned us, cleansed us? Once that has happened, did it not make you just like, let me go tell the world? If so, where did that go? Is it still there? Are we still, are we we not still? uh, Look at what he says here. God says, who am I going to send? Okay, now God didn't give him instru- didn't tell him what, what the job was going to be. <laughs> he, did, he, didn't, he didn't say, okay, hey, look, here's what I'm going to need you to do. Now who's going to go? No. He just out of the blue says, who am I going to send? And what's he say? Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. That's, that's the response. It was like... I don't care what the trials are. I don't care what the job is. I don't care what it is you want me to do. Whatever it is, I'm here. Let's go do it. And, uh, you know, I think it's funny whenever I was a kid uh, singing hymns in church, you know, and we would sing uh, the song, you know, with uh, Here Am I, Send Me. Uh, you know, Here Am I, Send Me. You know, and But as I was singing it, I thought as a little kid that it was saying, Here are my send me. Like mice in me. <laughs> so, anyway, I, I thought that was uh, that was kind of good. So let there be mice in you. <laughs> you need to you need to have that type of attitude, and not because you're commanded to, but because the response the response is so strong you can't help but say, "Here, Lord, I'm here. Send me." Willing, enthusiastic service. God's question is simple. Who's going to go? There's a whole world of lost people out there. There's a whole world full of poor people. There's a whole world full of starving people out there. Who's going to go do it? I'm, I'm listening through the, through the podcaster. <laughs> Who's going to go do it? Here. Here I am. I am. Send me. Well, then listen to what, what, uh, what, what he, he, he got told. Well, here's what's going to happen. I'm gonna, you're going to go out there and you're going to teach all this stuff and ain't nobody going to listen to you. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, how long do I need to do this if people aren't going to listen to me? He says, until the cities are gone, till all the people are gone. I don't care if nobody listens to you. You do it anyway. That's the job. And it's uncanny. It's how... how much like our job that is. People won't listen. You will get that door slammed in your face. You will lose friends. You will lose family. You will have to deal with with persecution if you are truly going out and doing this calling. But the thing is, has, has your contact with the Almighty been such that it doesn't matter? doesn't matter (laughs) you know do with me as you will i will serve you in all things is are we there yet if we're not there yet we don't need to be talking about well man i need to go out there and i need to preach and i need to do this and i need to do more and i need to do i need to be a better christian and blah 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 no you need to get in contact with god you need to walk into the throne room 
<laughs> you need to find such fear whenever those angels are saying he is holy and he is he is holy three times and the whole walls are shaking because of it. You need to feel that. You need to fall down and say, I'm, I'm not worth it. I'm not worthy of this. You need to feel the cleansing and let that drive you. Here, my Lord, I'm ready. <laughs> Send me wherever you would have us to go. Man, look at how the disciples responded to Jesus. Matthew 4, whenever Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and uh, he says, follow me. What did they do? Dropped everything, dropped their livelihood, and followed him. The response was amazing. And I, I really like Luke 5 <clears throat> gives us a little more detail because it wasn't quite as simple as Jesus standing on the shore going, hey, guys, hey, I'm a stranger. Come follow me. They knew him. They had seen some, some miracles by him. And, in fact, they see this huge miracle right then where they throw this net out and they can't get the fish in. And Jesus is standing in the boat and Peter falls down on his knees and says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Man, I'm, this is it. You are the one we've been waiting for. Have we reached that point? Have, have we reached the point to where that revival that we've gone from just being a fisherman, just being a lowly a, a worker, to falling in front of, of the very God of the universe and saying, take me where you will, put me where you want me, put, put me in, in harm's way. I don't care as long as I get to be a part of what you're doing. Let me have a shot at spreading some of this, spreading the love that you have, Man, I, I want some of that. You know, in Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus is after, as David Platt would put it, radical followers. He's not after a bunch of numbers. He's not after a full church building. He's after those that will get up, take up their cross, and follow him. What do you say in Matthew 16, verse 24? Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And you might think, you know, we hear this saying, oh, it's just the cross he has to bear. Like, that's, like he's talking about a burden here. He's not talking about a burden. Cross is an implement of death. You must be sacrificed upon it. You must be willing to die and come back for him. That's what rebirth is all about. That's what, it's, that's what being reborn is all about. It's about being changed. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5, you are a new creature. Everything is new because of this. And everything is of God. There's no, there's no Sunday morning Christians in this scenario. This is every day, 24-7, all day, every day. You know, and look at the pep talk that Jesus gave them whenever he sent them out in Matthew 10. He says there in verse 16, he says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles when they deliver you over. Don't be anxious. How you are to speak or what you are to say for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour for it is not you who speak the spirit of your father speaking through you brother will deliver brother over to death and the father's child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death and you will all be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Isn't that true today? I mean, you're, you got plenty of places to go. Plenty of places that have not been touched. And some that have been touched need to be retouched by someone who really has a heart for it and really loves them. Because 
There's too many Christians going around knocking on doors simply because it's their job. Need people out there who love them and won't point a finger at them and, and tell them all the things they're doing wrong, but they'll tell them what they need, and that is Jesus as a Savior. You know, the service is, is there regardless of whether we accept it or not. You know, he told, he told him that their ears would be plugged and their eyes wouldn't be able to see. He knows that people will not heed his words and uh, that it will only harden their hearts even more and plug up their ears. But his will is that the teaching of this truth in love, in the face of rejection, bear fruit. Your job is to plant seeds, not to convert people. And that's always one of the things I think people get all messed up. We live in a world that is measured in performance. You know, we've got charts and, you know, uh, we go to work and we go to school and everything's measured on how the, what the score is, what's the grade, how well are you doing? Doesn't work like that here. Your job is not to bring in a bunch of people to be able to say, hey, 200 souls got saved this weekend. Or, hey, I baptized five people yesterday. Because then it becomes about you. But God doesn't want that, does he? He wants that person that's so humble and so Feel, that, that knows he's worthless and knows that, that he's only here by God's mercy, that we're only here by his grace, and that the words that we say don't mean anything unless the Spirit is the one pushing it out of our mouths. And so, you know, that the, the, this whole concept of giving God the glory has to be paramount in what we do. You are there to plant seeds. If a seed's already been planted, it's your job to water it. God is going to be the one that makes the increase. And there'll be people that will hear you, but they won't hear you. Then there'll be those people that it took two, three, four, five, ten times of hearing it before it finally sunk in before it finally hit a nice, tender piece of earth in their heart. So your job is not to get a bunch of numbers. Your job is simply to be here and be sent. Here am I. Send me. I don't care if nobody converts. Well, I mean, you care. But that's not the point. The point is no matter how much rejection you get, it's about revival. It's about wanting to bring as many people as you can into the same mindset that's driving you. You know, think about it. It started with 12 people. And as it says in the book of Acts, they turned the world upside down. In uh, John 12, <clears throat> says here, therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke to him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes with man, from man more than the glory that comes from God. There are people that will hear the message, and you will never know that they really, really heard it because they're secreting it away because of fear. But that, well, that is a seed that has been planted, and you have to move forward and keep going. Man, there are so many things in this. There's so many types. You know, we love to talk about types and models on the show. There's so many types that pop up in here. I mean, God's throne, that's, that's not only his throne, but it's also our home. I mean, that's, that's where we hope to be someday. Um, Isaiah's initial reaction, 
that's man, that's our repentance and our confession. I mean, Isaiah went through the whole process here of coming into contact with God, being converted, being healed, the coal from the altar. That was Christ on the cross. You know, whenever we fall down in that same situation, that piece of coal, which is Christ from the cross, comes and touches us and makes us clean. So we don't have to worry about duplicating what Nadab and Abihu, the same sin that Nadab and Abihu did. We've been cleansed. We've been made clean by coming into contact with him. The seraphim, that, the seraph, seraph that brought him the coal. Well, that's the Holy Ghost who works in us and through us and, and works out our salvation that is inside of us. God's question, who will I send? Whom will I send? That's the Great Commission right there. Go into all nations, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them all the things which I have commanded. It's the, the commission. And of course, Isaiah's answer is our answer. Is that the same answer that, that, uh, that you give? The people's rejection of Isaiah, that's the people's rejection we still have now. It's a, it's a perfect model. God's question to Isaiah is still hanging in the air today. It's even floating across the Internet. As you're listening to this, the question is still hanging in the air. Who will go? Who will I send? What is our answer? Is your hand in the air? Here, there are mice in me. <laughs> or are we saying, well, you know, there's evangelists that can do that. That's their job. You know, there's a song by, um, by uh, Petra, of all, that um, called Sin Revival. And uh, he kind of ties it into this, this particular chapter um, in his lyrics. He says, Sin Revival, start with me, for I am one of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King. Your glory I have glimpsed. Send revival. But start with me. Well, I thank you guys for tuning in. I'm hoping that Jeremiah will be back uh, shortly. And we'll be able to uh, banter a little bit more. We've got some other fun and cool thing, uh, new things on the way. We've got some cool things uh, happening at the GCT Network. New shows hopefully coming down the, the pike before too long. And uh, we're going to be interviewing uh, Brian Gadawa again. He has a new book out called Jesus Triumphant. Um, I, absolutely, I absolutely love that guy's work. Um, it's all fiction. But, you know, if you've listened to any of our shows, you know that, you know, I've got this penchant, penchant for, um, for the giant thing and all that. And he ties and all that's in these stories. And, uh, I just finished reading a, a, one of his books called the, uh, Gilgamesh Immortal, which was another great job. Uh, and it tied right into the Nimrod thing <laughs> that, that Brooke and I talked about here uh, a couple of weeks ago. But, uh, anyway, we're looking forward to hearing from, from him in a few weeks. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using new media and social networking to go into all the world and to proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, to partner with us, visit us at gctnetwork.com. Subscribe to the newsletter and stay up to date on all the latest from our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema. There are several ways to contact us and leave us feedback. You can send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com. You can call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And don't forget to leave us comments there and to rate us the same way Philip did. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. Follow us on Instagram at Theonauts. And don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's word with us. 
And I would say thanks for being here, but I'm all alone. There's nobody here. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission. This is your great commission transmission. At GCTnetwork.com. Transmission. This is your great commission transmission.